Hi, my name is Erica and this is Story Sanctuary. Story Sanctuary is a space for NICU parents to process and share their stories as a form of healing. Each episode features a different family's birth and NICU journey. And today we're joined by Ema. Ema, where does your story begin? My story begins um, when I was 21 weeks pregnant. I uh, was having a pretty regular pregnancy. Um, I was a first time, you know, about to be a first time mom. And I got a UTI, which is, you know, pretty regular, I would say in women, you know, you get a, a bladder infection or, you know, UTI. And unfortunately the medication um, I was allergic to that they gave me. So the antibiotics um, didn't know, you know, that I would be allergic to it. And essentially it wasn't helping the UTI get better. It was actually causing my cervix to get irritated because, you know, the infection wasn't being treated by the medication. So the infection was just getting worse. Um, cervix was getting irritated and it began to start dilating. So like I said, I was only 21 weeks at the time. And I was just kind of having like these uh, unusual pains, like pains that I didn't think were just, you know, infection related um, and come to find out they were contractions. Um, I went into my OB and, you know, they switched out the antibiotics, but by that time I was already about, I think 1.8 centimeters dilated at only 21 weeks. And it was one of those things where everyone was just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. We got to, you know, intervene immediately. Otherwise, you know, your, your health is in risk, you know, and the baby at this point. Um, so I went to the hospital and, um, it was, it was pretty, um, it was like a roller coaster, I will say, because, you know, you just go in to the OB, like thinking that, oh, they're just going to give me some more medicine. And, you know, they did the ultrasound. You're, I wasn't expecting them to say you're 1.8 centimeters dilated and you need to go to labor and delivery right away to start monitoring and kind of put a stop to things that are going on. And so I went to the, um, to the hospital and I was admitted for, it was like a 24 hour monitoring. And I remember I rushed over there by myself. My husband was at work. My mom was at work and I have, I was off that day because obviously like I wasn't feeling well. And, you know, so many thoughts go through your head when you are just trying to process like unexpected things. Like I said, I was not expecting to have to go to the hospital. And when I got there, um, you know, they started me on a host of medications just to kind of calm things down. Uh, they gave me some stronger antibiotics to obviously take care of the infection. Um, and they started giving me like steroid shots to, or they wanted to give me steroid shots to protect my son's lungs. And, you know, with so much information, uh, being thrown at me, um, statistics, meeting with the NICU team and just kind of like letting me know that we're, that they were going to do everything possible to keep me pregnant at least until 24 weeks. So I made it through the 24 hour um, observation, everything calmed down. They were able to send me home to be on hospital bed rest. I mean, I'm sorry, on house bed rest. So they kind of were like, okay, as long as you stay, you know, at home in your bed, only get up to use the restroom they didn't want me to shower. They literally wanted me to just like stay in bed 
and don't move because they, you know, they didn't know which way I would go. Like if, if standing on my feet would cause more pressure on my cervix and cause it to open. So I basically, I had to like call off work. And I, at the time I was a production manager for a large concert venue here in California. And it was not really the time to, you know, uh, we were like in, in busy concert season and being the production manager of the entire building, it was not ideal, but obviously like, mm-hmm. you know, this is my circumstance and I have to take care. Like if I can't, you know, be there physically, like it just is what it is. Um, and my job was pretty understanding. Um, a lot of people had to kind of like step up to kind of fill in for me. Um, and during that time, I just, I stayed at home. Um, I was given um, vaginal progesterone which I had to have inserted two times a day to strengthen my cervix, keep it closed. And um, it was hard, you know, being like an on-the-go woman, career woman. I was newly married. I was like, you want me to sit down and just lay here all day by myself? It was, it was, it was depressing. It was hard. And it just, it felt like, like all of my dreams of this, you know, beautiful pregnancy were just like being thrown out of the window. Cause we were literally in the midst of, you know, like planning baby shower and starting the registry. And I didn't mention that I had hyperemesis gravidarium for the majority of my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So right around the time that this started happening, I was finally starting to feel better feel human. Um, I was like able to kind of enjoy here and there. I was able to eat without getting sick all the time. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like I'm finally going to enjoy. And then it was like, and no, you're not. (laughs) And so I ended up being at home um, on bed rest for a few days. And I think it was about like maybe the fourth or fifth day I started um, feeling those, those strong pains again. And I'm like, what is going on? Because by this time I pretty much finished, you know, the round of antibiotics. I've been on bed rest. I'm on another medication, you know, the vaginal progesterone. So why am I, what's going on? I've been, I haven't done anything. I've literally been laying in the bed and it was, it was so excruciating. Like the pains were just like, kind of like lightning bolts in my abdomen and my back and my cervix and it was pretty much like all day. And the, I called labor and delivery and they said, you know, just drink some water, try to rest, which I had been doing all day, take a warm bath, um, you know, take Tylenol if you need it, but just, you know, it's probably Braxton Hicks, um, contractions. And, you know, like I said, I was first time being pregnant. So I didn't really know what, you know, I'm trying to Google and do all of these things. And, you know, it was about like 1130, close to midnight, and I could not sleep. And I told my husband, I was like, I think something's wrong. Like, I think you should just take me to labor and delivery just to be sure, just to check and see what's going on. And thankfully he did, because in triage, um, I met, uh, she's, she's like an angel to our family. Her name is Julie, and she was my triage nurse, and she is who I had spoken to on the phone. And, you know, she, you know, took my vitals and everything, did ultrasound. And I remember the look on her face, just kind of like this stark look of like, oh my gosh, like this cannot be happening. And, you know, me and my husband, like, what's, what's going on? And she's like, you know, technically I'm not supposed to tell you because I'm a nurse. I'm not a uh, ultrasound tech, you know, technically they're the ones who's supposed to read 
the ultrasound and the doctor is supposed to tell you what's going on. But anyway, she was like, you're eight centimeters dilated. And I was like, what? I just remember I like kind of blacked out. I lost it. I was screaming and crying, hyperventilated. My husband, he started crying and we were just like, wait, what is going on? Because at this point, I'm at like 22 weeks in like a day. So the goal from what they told me was we got to get you at least to 24 weeks for the best chance of the baby surviving. I'm like, I'm 22 weeks. Like I can't, like, am I about to deliver the baby right here in triage? You know, it it was just so crazy and just so emotional. Um, I just, I, I couldn't wrap my head around like, what is going on? What did I do wrong? Like I've been at home, I've been doing all of the things and what? I may send me dilated. And so some time goes on. She comes back and she read the ultrasound wrong. I was not eight centimeters dilated. I was 2.8 centimeters dilated, oh which is God. why they don't want people <laughs> who shouldn't be reading ultrasounds to be reading ultrasounds because it sent us into such a emotional uproar and roller coaster. I mean, literally like my husband had left out um, he collapsed on the floor because he thought like, you know, our son is about to come right now. Cause you know, 10 centimeters dilated, eight, 10, like that's too, like, and he called his dad and his mom and he was like trying to reach my parents. And by this time it's like wee hours of the morning, because, you know, when you go to labor and delivery, you know, you're, they're monitoring you and it's triage and it wasn't like a quick thing. So by this time it's probably like three or four in the morning. So we're waking up our parents, like get down here. Ema's about to have the baby. They're like, wait, what is going on? And I just remember, um, everyone just like rushing to us and just, you know, she, the nurse, I love her so, so much. And she was just crying and she was like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, we have, we have time, like there's hope because two, two centimeters, 2.8 is way better than eight. You know, there's a lot of, you know, room, but we couldn't figure out why I dilated so fast being that I was on bed rest. I was on medication and all these things. So they told me I had to be admitted and that I would be there for the duration of my pregnancy which was like, okay, <laughs> like now everything is going to have to change. You know, I really can't go back to work now. And the next time I leave this hospital, I'm going to be a mom. So, you know, we were preparing for me to stay there until like 36 weeks. And they were like, you know, we'll come up with a plan to deliver the baby and all this stuff. And um, the NICU team came in and it was about like six in the morning. And I remember one of the doctors, um, just really cold, really um, not compassionate. Our parents were in the room with us. And just by this time, we know we're calm, calmer, I guess you could say, but still just trying to figure out what do we do? What's next? And, you know, I just was like, you know, we're, we're believing for a miracle to happen. And she looked at me in my face and she's like, I don't believe in miracles. I believe in science. And I said, okay. Well, well, we're believing, <laughs> this is what we're believing. So if you want to be negative, you can exit the room, send me another doctor, because I, I think it was at that point that I really was grasping what we were up against and that we were up against people who, who just do their job. Like there's no, there's no buffer. There's no compassion. There's no like bedside manner. 
um, she was just listing off all the statistics. Your son, you know, if he's born at this gestation, he will never walk. He will never talk. He has a 20% chance of surviving. You know, he, he might live, but he won't live. Um, just all of these things that were just so grim and, you know, it was hard to take in. And I understand that they have a job to do. I understand that they have to give you the statistics, but I also feel like, um, especially now, since it's been, you know, so long, there's evidence to prove that babies born at 22 weeks and at 23 and 24, they can survive with the right intervention. And I think just the whole picture of it all. So like my son was very healthy. I was healthy. It was just this infection was causing the commotion, but it never was like affecting him. So on all the ultrasounds, he was happy bouncing around. Fluid was full. Everything was good. So he presented a good picture to me, like to me and to, you know, some of the team, like, okay, if he is born, he might have a chance, which is why they gave him the 20% chance. Um, And they were saying that he was measuring a little bigger too, which was great because, I think it gave them a little bit more, more confidence in like, you know, maybe he has a chance, but they also were like, you know, you should just do comfort care. You should not go through with this. Um, my OB had sat on the bed, um, on that emotional day and was just like, you know, you guys are young, you're recently married, you're newlyweds. Like you always can try again later. And I just was like, what does that mean? Like I'm pregnant. This baby is alive in my stomach. Like he's moving and curling up and I feel him and I feel this connection. And to be told like, Oh, just let him be born. And you could just do something like, just let him go and and try again later. Like it was so cavalier and just so like, Oh, just, I said, no, no, absolutely not. Like that didn't sit well with my spirit. Um, I've always believed, um, you know, in God, I've always had um, faith and, you know, I'm a Christian and my husband's Christian, my my whole family and, you know, what our parents, you know, because we we were trying to like consult with them, like, what should we do? And, you know, they mostly were just like, obviously, it's you guys' decision. We're just here to support you all. We're not here to say to do this or do that, because, you know, for us, we were so kind of ignorant to what does this really look like a 20 a 22 week preemie all that i really knew about the nicu was um what you see on tv you know and it we know it's all manufactured it's not um like even when i see stuff now with babies who've been born prematurely like it's totally not the reality of what it really looks like when a baby's born prematurely so you know, my husband, even, you know, he was, he even will tell you now, like he was so ignorant to, um, what, what we knew, like we're ignorant because of our limited lack of, you know, our knowledge. Like we didn't know, like, would he, was he fully formed? You know, would he have eyes? Like, these are things that you think about, like, because when you think 22 weeks, you think that is, you're barely at the, you're in the fifth month of pregnancy. Um, and so my husband's like, will he, will he have all of his limbs? Will he, you know, will he look fully formed like a baby or will, and you know, what the, the what the NICU doctors were telling us, it was very scary. So for us, we're like, is he going to come out like deformed? You know, we just did not know anything. And these are conversations that we literally had to have like hard conversations where we had to discuss these things. And, you know, my husband was just kind of like, I don't know if, um, 
if we're prepared mentally and physically, emotionally to care for a child with disabilities. And, um, you know, for me, I was just like, but we don't even know if he's going to have disabilities. Like they're saying it's a chance that he could, but they don't know. Nobody really knows. And so I had to sit with my spirit. I had to pray. And I really just took a few hours, you know, and they were kind of pressuring us because they wanted to know I was stable, but they wanted to know which way to go. Do we just let things happen naturally or do we intervene to stop them, to give her a little more time? And, you know, after a couple hours, my doctor was like, okay, so what's your decision? And I, I sat there with tears in my eyes and I said, I want you to save my son. If he has a 20% chance, that's a chance. Like he deserves that chance. Like, I don't care what happens to me, save him. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, that's what, that's what being a mom is. That's what being a parent is. And I hadn't really felt like a mom until that moment. Like that was like such a crucial defining moment for me, um, choosing to save him and choosing to give him a chance, despite what, what the doctor said, despite what the statistics were, I was like, we're in this thing. Like, I don't care if we have, you know, whatever, whatever he comes with this, God gave us this and we're not going to, um, how dare I say, I can't handle this and just no, like, no, no, he gave this to us for a reason. And I really strongly felt that. And once I said that they, it was like game time and they gave me like, literally they went to war. I mean, I was on every medication, like magnesium to stop labor, um, surfactant for, you know, um, for Jackson and steroid shots. Um, and just literally everything to just kind of keep him safe, keep me safe. And I was stable. I was stable for four days on hospital bed rest um, to the point to where I was like, okay, well, can I go back home now? <laughs> you know, because everything is good. Like, I mean, I was resting um, and I really feel like, you know, looking back, like God really wanted me to rest because like I said, I was this busy career woman, like just always on the go, like from the time that me and my husband started dating to leading up to our child, like it was fast. Like we had a whirlwind um, romance. Like we went from, you know, we, we, we reconnected and a month later we were dating, we were together and like we got engaged a year after we started dating, we planned our wedding eight months after we got married and then we got pregnant. So it was like fast, fast, fast. And in between that, like I said, I had a, a busy job. Um, so this time made me sit still. It made me be present. It made me really think about what is important and what's important is my family, my life. Like it, it, you know, I had reached this pinnacle of success in my career and felt like, okay, like, you know, I'm moving, I'm shaking, but then it was like, okay, re refocus, you know, it's great to make money. It's great to have the status. It's great to have the career, but God wanted to show me some other things and really increase my faith through this experience. And literally I was, uh, 22 and six, um, 22 weeks, six days pregnant. And it was about four in the morning. And I woke up like shot up out of my hospital bed, like something just like woke me up. And I was, I grabbed my stomach and I looked down and I was bleeding or had bled through the night. Cause it was like dry blood. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? I called my nurse, um, who I'm actually still friends with today. She's another one of like our NICU angels. And um, I I tried to go to the bathroom because I felt like this urge to go to the bathroom. And she came in, she's like, no, no, no. Actually, she was on break. So her coworker came in. They were like, we're trying to find her because I really wanted her. Because when you've been in the hospital on bed rest, you know, like if there's been a nurse that's kind of been there for those days, like, you know, you create a bond with them. Um, I think it was such a delicate experience too, because of my gestation, everyone was kind of handling me, um, with like extreme care, um, because I had kicked out a couple of nurses prior to, you know, just because like things that they said, or just like the way that they were handling me and our, our case, it just was not good. So I had created this bond with, um, nurse Carla, And when she came, she's like, get back in bed. I said, why is my baby going to fall out? I was kind of joking. She was like, he could. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? So again, pandemonium and every night, uh, leading up to this, my husband stayed the night at the hospital because like we, you know, we hadn't been apart and, you know, it's just kind of scary, like being there, you know, by yourself. So he stayed every night except for that night. Because I was like, well, I was like, I'm really stable. Like everything's been fine. Like nothing has happened. Go home, like sleep in our bed, get some rest. Like I'll see you tomorrow. Cause the next day was Saturday. You didn't have to work. So I'm like, get you some good sleep at home. I know you, I know you've been here all week. So he's like, okay, went home and fell in the deepest sleep. <laughs> and we, I cannot reach him. Like the hospital was trying to call him. I, I was able to reach my mom because by this time, like I said, it was like 4.30 in the morning and my mom was like trying to call him. And we all lived about like 10 minutes from the hospital. So it wasn't like super far, but could not reach him for like 20 or so minutes. And and I they didn't know how um, far dilated I was because the bag was bulging. So it was almost like they could see him, but they didn't want me to push. They just were like, just, you know, just kind of, like chill out, you know. Um, I remember someone jabbing a um, a shot in my arm. It's it just to kind of like it was like I was uh, my adrenaline was up. I was freaking out. I'm like, what's happening? This is too early. It's too soon. And they were able to get me stabilized. So they gave me more magnesium, which just to calm everything down. Um, and I was in labor for ten hours. And it was the long day of like just contractions. And um, we didn't really have a plan. Um, Ultimately, we were just trying to wait and see what my body was going to do. We knew that we wanted to save him. We knew that we wanted the intervention to happen. Um, But we didn't really know what that looked like. And we really, you know, we really needed God to like, take over and intervene because all I said was save my son. But what does that really look like? Does that mean me pushing and then y'all rushing him to the NICU? Or does that mean me having a C-section? Like what, you know, what does that look like? So at about the 10th hour, I was exhausted from laboring because the labor slowed down in those early hours, but it didn't completely stop it. And so I was having contractions and I couldn't eat anything because they're like, in case you needed a C-section, you know, you can't eat anything. I couldn't drink. 
my body was just so exhausted. And I was like, I need the epidural, like give me an epidural because I don't know, like, I, I, I don't know what else I can't give anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm just so exhausted. And, you know, they came and gave me an epidural. My OB actually left because at this time I was still in labor, but he's like, this could be, you know, a long, a long day. Like, you know, it could be 24 hours. No one knew, you know, we just were watching the monitors. Jackson's heart rate was good. Um, the, they came to give me the epidural. I was terrified because, you know, you hear all these things about epidurals and it was just, I was like already in, you know, I was in contractions. I was in pain. So they're like, sit still, I'm like sit still as the contractions are coming. But if you don't sit still, you could become paralyzed. And it's like, wait, just so many things. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I get the epidural, I get back like in the bed to put the monitors back on me and they can't find Jackson's heart heartbeat. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like find my baby's heartbeat. He was fine. Like he was active the whole time while I was in labor. Like I'm literally, I was not pushing just, you know, the contractions, but they, you know, it was a unique situation where I kind of felt like they didn't know how to move and they don't want to move too fast because, you know, like, let's give, even if the clock, even if I went to midnight, then, then he turns 23 weeks, they kind of felt like, oh, he might have a more of a chance, which is a, a day later. But I was just like, we got to do something. So they're trying to find his heart rate. So as I'm trying to get back in bed, they find his heart rate and it's, he's tachycardic meaning his heart rate is super high. And at this point, it's an emergency. If we're going to save him, we got to save him right now. Like we got to go get an emergency C-section. There's no time to talk. There's no time to sign papers. It's go time. We got like, like it was, it, when I say everything went from like zero to a hundred, like people rushed the room and were prepping me. And my husband's running down the hall trying to put you know, on the scrubs for the C-section or for, you know, for the OR. And, um, I, my mom, I just remember her sitting in the, in the, in the hospital room and she was just praying and rocking back and forth and just praying because now your baby, like I'm her baby, you know, I'm, I'm going in distress and I'm at the point of like, I'm my, my blood pressure's up, you know, everything is going because he's in distress. So now I'm not okay. Um, and it was really, really, it was really scary, um, you know, just not knowing what's going to happen next, but just save, save him. And I, I remember just looking at my husband, I say, you know, I don't care what happens to me, just, you know, I've lived, you know, I just want to give him a chance to live like, you know, and that's hard to say, it's hard to hear. He was, he was, he was, you know, he was trying to be strong, but like for his new wife to be basically saying, if, if something happens to me in this OR, like, I just wanted to give him a chance, you know? And uh, even as I, before they cut me open, uh, one of the doctors was like, are you sure? Are you really sure you want to do this? And I'm like, I'm here. Like, let's go, like get him out because he's in distress. And the longer he's in distress without any intervention, like his chances are going down. Um, so they got him out. He did not cry. Um, I was on a lot of medication because, um, you know, I had just got the epidural. And so it was almost like 
so the way time timing happened, you know what I mean? Um, it, it was, it was very much, although it was chaotic and traumatic, I feel like it was the way God really wanted it to be because prior to, you know, me getting an epidural, everything was calm, but it was almost like, okay, he needs to come now. Like we need to just move this along. And right when I got the epidural, as you know, you need an epidural to get a C-section anyway. And so it was just the timing of it all. When I think back was like, wow, that was really interesting. Um, so I got the epidural and, you know, they got him out and he was not crying and I was kind of lucid. I was awake, but, um, I was on so much medication because they hadn't had time to prepare me for a C-section. So they just had to give me so much just to kind of keep me calm, keep me not feeling anything. Um, and I was, I was, like I said, I was under a little bit. Um, I still felt, I felt a lot of, it was not, it was not a fun procedure because, um, you know, like I said, it was a rush. And so they rushed, they rushed him out. My husband went to be with my son and they resuscitated him three times, um, to get him, you know, cause like I said, he was healthy inside of me, but on the outside, once they brought him out, he was not able to just sustain himself cause he was 22 weeks, but he was so beautiful. Um, he was fully formed. Um, he had all of his limbs. He had a head full of hair. He was a one pound, 2.9 ounces, very tiny, very fragile, 11 inches long. Um, and so they, you know, were working on me and my husband actually was able to go inside the Nikki with him and, um, watch all of this happening. He recorded it and he was, it was just like a like he was a fly on the wall and you hear them talking and saying, you know, all of these things. And I, I really appreciate him taking that video because like, I wasn't, you know, able to be in that room and really grasp like what was really going on. And just to see it, it's like, wow, this is incredible. Like the fact that they wanted me to let this baby be born and not intervene. Like he was a fully formed baby. I mean, like I said, he had a head full of hair and he was just like wiggly and just, I mean, it was incredible. And so, you know, some time went on and I, I was afraid to see him in person. So I hadn't watched the video cause I had to come out of the, the, the medication. I was so, I was on so much medicine to where I, I don't, I didn't even know really what was going on. I remember waking up and I was like, did, like, where's the baby? Like, did I have the baby, you know? And it was a nurse waking me up to say, okay, yes, you have the baby. It's time to pump. And I was like, wait, pump, like what, you know, <laughs> I hadn't even gotten that far in like my I'm having a baby journey of like learning how to pump. And I think I had just ordered my breast pump from insurance. So, you know, she was like, we're going to teach you what you need to know. And, um, it just, it, the reality of what had just happened. I was like, okay, so we chose to save my son and now it's coming with so much like things that I didn't think I would feel. So initially I was not like I was his advocate, but when it came to like wanting to go see him, I was afraid to go see him initially. Um, one, I didn't want to, I was kind of guarded. So, you know, they said, oh, he has a, you know, 20% chance of surviving. The first 24 hours are very 
crucial and critical. Like he could not make it through 24 hours. So for me, I felt like I had my defense up. My husband was like really all in. He was like documenting everything, taking pictures, taking videos. And I was like, I'm going to be over here because, you know, I don't really know how to process this. I don't know how to process the fact that he's been born. I'm a mom. He's hooked up to all of these tubes and wires. I don't even know what to do. You know, I don't like this was not part of the plan. <laughs> and so the the following day, um, you know, I went down to the NICU. They wheeled me down and I was like, I was I wanted to connect to him and really be like, oh, my gosh, my baby. And I, I just kind of was looking like it was somebody else's life. Like, wow, like, wow, this is incredible. Like, I think it was a numbness, too. I was still on medicine, um, but I was, I was very scared. I think, I think a lot of those feelings came from fear of just not wanting to connect and then something happened to him. And I know it sounds so weird and so convoluted, but I think other Nikki parents can attest to that, like that fear of like losing them. Like, okay, so we made it through this hurdle and now we have to every day, like fight for you. And while you're fighting, you know, the baby's fighting. It is, it's just, it brings a lot of emotion and it would take a few days for me to, as I was in the hospital postpartum for like five days because of the C-section was emergency, you know, emergency C-section. So I had to really heal. And I remember finally, finally, uh, like on the fifth day when I was leaving the hospital, it was like, wait, I'm leaving and my baby is staying here with you people, you strangers who don't believe in miracles and I'm supposed to leave him with y'all? Like, what? Like, it was so weird because I I was in a fog for probably like the first good week Um, and just kind of of going through the motions, so so to speak. Like, just doing the breast pumping, going to see him in the NICU. Um, I was afraid to touch him. And I remember one of the nurses was like, this is how you need to touch him. And she showed me and, you know, it was very sweet and very, um, very heartwarming, but still I was very scared. And I, I just, it was so many facts and things being told to us. And, you know, we were trying to learn what, what was going on with medicines he was on and what oxygen and I had no idea, like I needed a crash course in what does all of this mean? And, you know, on some of our home videos, like you could hear me asking questions like, okay, so, you know, you know, what is, what does this machine do? And what does this mean? And, and my husband too, he was like taking notes and, and really just trying to understand, um, kind of what was going on. Um, and I remember, them telling us, you know, the babies have a honeymoon period. So for that first seven days, usually everything is fine. Like they usually do really well. And it's almost like, wow, like they're, this is, this is how it's going to be. And then after seven days, it's like, nope, it's not how it's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be a roller coaster. Um, and, you know, cause for the first seven days, he was, he was doing pretty well, especially considering he was a 22 week preemie. Uh, they hadn't taken care of a 22 weeker before they thought we were crazy for saving his life. My OB, I remember said, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm going to fight for you guys anyway. And we appreciated that so much because, you know, not many parents would 
um, take that route, especially not knowing what the outcome could be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and some don't even get the opportunity to fight for their child. It's like, nope, they're below 24 weeks. We're not doing anything. We're not prepared. We're not equipped. And that that's really sad because I talked to a lot of parents who are like, gosh, I wish I had a choice. I wish that someone would have told me that my 23-weeker or my 24-weeker could could survive. And so for me, I make it my mission to, to share our story because, you know, it, it brings hope. Not to say that every situation is going to turn out the same way, but at least if you know someone else um, who has had a, a good outcome, that's going to give you some hope. You know, I mean, after we, you know, made it through that first week, I was looking for stories and people who, who had other preemies. Um, my husband started um, Jackson's Instagram page just to start sharing our story. He actually started sharing on Facebook, like right as we were going into the C-section, he just, he was, he felt helpless. He's like, I need everyone to pray. Like Ema's in labor, um, Jackson, you know, our son's coming and everyone was like, wait, what? Because prior to that, we hadn't said anything really. It was kind of, we just had kept it with our family. Um, and I appreciated him speaking out and expressing his heart and saying like, we need help. We need y'all to pray for us. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what to do. We just made this decision to save our, our son, but we don't know what that's going to look like. And then through him doing that, other people were reaching out to us like, oh, my cousin had a preemie or, um, or I had, you know, they're like, I had a preemie and my son is doing great now. And these are the things that you should be asking. And these are the things you should look out for. And it was like a whole new world had opened up for us because we opened up and started just literally organically sharing our story. So like I said, that first week, it was, it was hard. Um, I remember just being so vulnerable, so raw, so just like feeling guilty of like having to leave my son. Cause these, to me, in my mind, these were strangers. These were not professional nurses and doctors. They were strangers. I'm like, I came in, I don't even know you guys. And you know, like they weren't the friendliest people when I was on bed rest. So I'm like, how do I know that you're going to do all that you can? And I just like throw in the towel because you didn't believe that my son could make it. You know what I mean? So I dealt with a lot of those thoughts and emotions and just trying to navigate how do we work as a team, um, you know, as parents and with the medical team, because you really have to partner with these people when they're caring for your kids. You can't just be them versus versus you. You got to come together. Y'all all want the same goal to get the baby home healthy, safe, and, you know, as little time, I guess you could say as possible. Um, and I, I think a lot of NICU parents don't always feel that way um, because there is a sen- seniority complex with, you know, uh, talking to doctors. Um, it can be intimidating. It can be, um, they can belittle you. I've, I've seen it all. I've heard it all where they act like, you know, they don't respect you. Um, I remember one, uh, doctor, once they found out what my career was, they saw what kind of car I drove. They started treating me differently. Mm-hmm. And it was like, did you need to know that I had a high power job to just treat me with respect? Like, um, 
it was it was really interesting um i mean the 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 level of respect changed like oh so you so you're you know cuz i think there's a perception um and not to be like this but like sometimes with black families in the nicu what did you do wrong you must have did something to make this baby come early like there's that like lingering thing um and I've, I've heard I've heard so many heartbreaking stories of where parents are, you know, black women are accused of you must have did something to make this baby come early. And it's like, no, sometimes it just happens. And, you know, in the case for me, it was not related to anything that I did. It was an infection that caused this. So, you know, we had to navigate through through those conversations and those uncomfortable feelings like you know, we're normal people. We're just regular, hardworking people. Yes, I drive a nice car. Yes, I have a good career. And my son came early and that's what it is. You know what I mean? So we went through a lot of judgments. Um, oh, we had a lot of meetings. Um, I quickly became, I think after about three weeks. So my son had to be transferred to another hospital. On day nine, they saw that he had a PDA in his heart and they had tried to treat it with medication. It wasn't closing. And so they um, had to transfer him to a children's hospital to have surgery at just 13 days old. He had the surgery. He was still very small. He was like one pound, three ounces. It was very risky. And during that time, it was a children's hospital, but it was like a teaching unit. And so we got like a crash course of the NICU there. Um, we had a doctor, uh, a black doctor who basically like took us under her wing and just really like cared for us and like loved on us and was like, I'm going to help you guys get through this. And we hadn't had that at our birth hospital. And so it was a, a stark contrast, but it was like, we needed that time to really learn what we needed to learn, know how to have the conversations, know what certain things meant and how to talk. Cause I think when you're a Nikki parent, you got to learn how to talk Nikki talk. <laughs> like yeah. you can't, you know, you can't just be like super timid. You got to go in there, like know what you're talking about and, or at least sound like, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so during those three weeks, like we got like this crash course in how to become a Nikki parent. So when he was able to be um, transferred back, they transferred him back to his home hospital and we came back like new people. And they were just like, like, who are you people? It was like, we are advocates. We are Nikki parents and we're not going to take any crap. And we're going to get the best for our son. And they were just like, okay, well, all right. You know? And, but it really helped us because like I said, we, when we first had them, we were just like deers and headlights. We were just like, what do we do? What do we say? What, what is this? What is that? And we really learned to advocate for him and ask questions and, um, and not in a demeaning way, but just in a, we care about our son. We know that you guys are doing your job, but we also just want to make sure that he's getting what he needs um, and not like not pushing him too fast. Um, you know, one of his biggest issues in the NICU was his lungs. They were extremely premature um, because, you know, the lungs have to, you know, they develop as 
you're pregnant with them. And, and towards the end of your pregnancy is like when a lot of things are starting to happen and develop. Um, and so he didn't have the opportunity to, you know, be inside of me for the, the, for the full length of my pregnancy. So it took a lot of time for his lungs. They were, they were sick lungs as they called them, but everything else about him was fine. Like he was growing fine. Um, he needed blood transfusions and, um, two months into his NICU stay, I went back to work. Um, and I know a lot of people struggle with that decision when their child's in the NICU, like, do I, you know, still work? Do I not still work? Like, what do we do? And ultimately, you know, I had to do what was best for my family. Um, and it also working gave me a sense of like normalcy because when you're inside the NICU, like nothing is normal. That's not normal for your baby to like not be home with you to see your baby struggling. Like that's not like a normal, I mean, it happens, but it's not the way that, you know, it should happen. So going to work, um, we still needed money, still had to provide. I had, you know, insurance and everything like that. So I still had to work. Um, and I was determined to manage both. So I was off for two months to recover for, from the C-section. And then I figured, okay, if I work for the rest of his NICU stay, when he comes home, I'll go on on actual maternity leave. So prior to that, it was like disability leave because, you know, I, I, li- I literally could not work from because I had the C-section, like I was in no shape um, to work. And so I balanced working, pumping at work, going back and forth to the NICU. I would go like in the morning um, sometimes, or my husband would go in the morning and then I would call throughout the day, you know, to check on him, make sure he was good. And then um, we would go back at night and do his care, spend time with him. Cause by this time, so going into his third month, he was able to be held a little bit more often. He was like more stable um, and he was not intubated or anything like that. So we were able to really like, you know, nurture him and and really participate and not just sit there and like, just watch him, um, you know, on a, on a breathing machine. And so I felt comfortable being able to work Um, but there were some days where I just was like, this sucks. You know, I want to be with my baby. Um, and I know for me, like sitting at the NICU all day was not healthy for me. Um, because there were times when I was there and I was just constantly looking at the monitors and every little beep, I'm like, what's that? What's okay. What's going on? You know, I was like unable to just relax and just be a mom. Um, because I think in the NICU, like, it's hard to feel like a mom because someone else is taking care of your child 24 seven. You're a visitor. (laughs) You're visiting your own child. Like that's hard to, to hear. Um, I remember having a conversation with like the social worker when we were like doing paperwork and um, it was like a question that came up and it was like, technically like he's, he belongs to like his home is the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is, this is crazy. Like my kid belongs to the hospital. Like, but I'm his mom. And so you, I was dealing with those, like I'm his mom, but I don't feel like his mom some days. Um, I had to really, really, really um, 
be intentional with my thoughts, things I talked about, things that people I listened to, um, and really just strain hard to work through, through those emotions because I'm like, I'm pumping milk for him. I'm holding him, but then I have to leave him. Like, this doesn't feel like a mom to me. Um, or I had to ask permission to hold him. Like, is it okay today? Can I hold him? You know, is it okay to touch him right now? Like, that's a hard thing um, to deal with as a parent. And especially like your first child, who it was really, really tough. Um, and so some days were good and some days were not so good. Some days I really struggled while I was at work um, and just getting like phone calls from the doctor saying like, hey, you know, he's having a rough day. Um, you know, you, he, you know, you might want to come down here. Um, or like when he, um, he needed surgery on his eyes for ROP surgery. And, you know, I, I, I took off work, you know, but I also was just like, this is hard trying to navigate, you know, personal life, your child's in the NICU, they're having surgery, you know, and, and when you're away from the NICU, I think most parents can attest to this. Like you're on pins and needles a little bit. It's hard to relax when you're not there with your eyes physically on your child, because, you know, you could get that phone call that says they're not doing okay. You need to come here right now. I remember at night, sometimes, um, I would, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't put my phone on like, do not disturb or like vibrate because, you don't want to miss a phone call from the NICU, but at the same time, if someone was texting me and my phone, like, um, buzz, I'm like, oh my gosh. Or if it was an email, you know, I'm just like praying that it's not the NICU to tell me like something is wrong. Um, that trauma is very real. Um, when you're not there, you're, you're hoping that nothing is wrong. When you are, when you are there, you're hoping nothing is wrong. It's like, you're never, your guard never is really like let down until you bring your baby home. And then even when you bring your baby home, it's like a whole nother, (laughs) but the trauma of being a Nikki parent is very real. Um, it is very real. And I, I don't, I don't like when like people, minimize it or just say oh because I I remember people saying like some so bad things like oh well at least at least he's at the hospital and at least he's there where you know where you know people who know what they're doing like if something happens at least he at least he's there or well you have a babysitter they're not babysitting like nothing about this is good you know it's not at least he's there or at least like that's so oh I mean, I've written so many articles and done videos about things you should not say to Nikki parents because that's one of those things that you don't say. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of like comparison even in today's like social media world where, you know, someone's child was in the hospital for one day and then someone's like, well, that, you know, one day is nothing compared to my kid who was in there for 20 days or 100 days or any day in the NICU is tough. Mm-hmm you know, regardless of why your child is there. Um, yes, parents whose children, you know, like ours who've been there for a hundred plus days, that is tough. Like that was four months, the first four months of his life, he was in the hospital. Um, and that was hard to deal with for me mentally. Um, and I think I didn't really take time to process what was going on until we got out of the NICU. 
because I think when you're going through the journey, you're just going through it. It's kind of like fight or flight. You just, you just pick up, you just, you just learn this flow. Like you do this, you do that. You go to the NICU, you go home, you come back to the NICU. Like you get in this rhythm. Um, And for me, I found that breaking down was not really an option for me. Um, I had to just go through it. Now, yes, obviously I had some tough days and days where, you know, I was very sad and upset, but I didn't stay there. Um, I really had to lean in um, on my my faith. Um, my husband was super supportive. Um, we actually grew closer because of our NICU journey. Um, I don't think it didn't drive us apart. I think it could have, you know, if we allowed it to, but for us, it brought us closer together. Um, and just really, I think me reaching out and saying like, or and, and expressing our emotions and, and our journey publicly, that really helped for, for us because it felt like people was on the journey with us. I remember people being like, you have aunties and uncles, Jackson in Nigeria and Germany and Italy and in Kansas and Hawaii, like everywhere. Like it was, felt like the world was praying for, for, for him and for us. And it just felt like so comforting and so just so warm. Um, and it really carried us through. Um, I don't feel like we would have gotten through without our faith. I don't feel like we would have made it if we had just like allowed ourselves to crumble under the rubble of this situation. Like we buckled up and we were like, it's hard. It's tough. This sucks, but we got to do this for Jackson. And I'm grateful that we fought for him. Um, I can't imagine if we didn't fight for him. I don't know what that would look like. And I don't ever want to imagine that. Um, I'm just grateful that God gave us the strength and the wisdom to say, hey, no, we're going to fight for this little boy who deserves a chance. And he's six years old now and he's amazing. And he's doing all the things that they said he might not do. I mean, he's so big and so tall and just fantastic. Like, I just, I marvel at how far we've come. Um, and just knowing that that piece of our journey was a piece, but it changed the trajectory of our lives. Like I didn't, when I, when he came home and I went on maternity leave, I did not return. Um, I took care of him um, because he came home on oxygen and he couldn't go to daycare on oxygen. Um, and he was, you know, medically fragile still. Um, his immune system would have been, you know, severely compromised and all of those things. So I made the hard decision to walk away from my career um, and pursue being an entrepreneur and a mom, stay at home mom. And, you know, it worked out great. <laughs> um, but I know for some families, they really struggle with that and not able to be in a position where they can leave their jobs or their careers and they have to put their child in daycare um, and just figure it out. And for me, you know, I really see the hand of God on our life because it was one of those things actually when I did not return to my, to my job, my husband got a better job. And so he was able basically to kind of like take over kind of like what I was bringing, if that makes sense. And the insurance and all of that kind of stuff. So it worked out. Um, but I understand it was, it was hard. And some days I still am like, you know, that was a tough time, but I look back um, and I think our, our NICU journey 
it helps me even in like tough times now, or when I'm discouraged or challenged in some way, I look at the pictures and see what we've overcome. And I'm like, we overcame that. Like we overcame so much, um, in that time period that it it gives me strength to like conquer anything else. I'm like, we're strong. Like we got this, we can do this. Um, and so I'm so grateful for the journey and I'm grateful that it helps other people. Um, I, I believe that, we don't just do stuff. Like we don't just go through things for us. Um, nothing is just for us. It's, it's to refine us is to help us is to grow us. But I think that it's also there to help other people along the way as well. You mentioned your business. Yes. Um, tell us about Halos and Miracles, your clothing brand. Yeah. So Halos and Miracles was birthed um, in 2016. So when I was home with Jackson, um, I wanted to find a shirt that um, expressed me being excited to be a miracle mom, a miracle mama, as I called it. And um, there was no shirts that said that. And just wanted to, I felt like this would be another avenue to creatively express myself. Like I'm a creative person and I wanted to express myself and, you know, other parents too, who probably wanted to find something to say, like, I'm a miracle mom. I birthed a miracle. You know, that's a big deal. You know, I'm not just a mom, like I birthed a miracle. So, um, that's kind of how it started with just wanting something that I could not find myself. And I was like, well, what if I create it? And I already had like entrepreneurial, um, you know, things in my past. Like I had owned a, a business prior to, to that. So I, I had the experience and I knew what it would take to start a business. And I started with like mommy and me shirts. So it was like miracle mama and little miracle is Jackson's my little miracle. And, um, as kind of each stage was going on in our life, um, with him and our journey with him, the designs would just come up. Like I would say, you know, Oh, I want this onesie for him that says like answered prayer because God answered my prayers when he blessed me with Jackson and in our whole journey and things like that. And literally every item that I created was from, what I wanted Jackson to have and what I wanted to wear and what I thought would be inspiring to other parents as well. Um, and it just started to grow. Um, and one of my other popular shirts is like praying mom. Like I'm not just a regular mom. I'm a mom that prays and my prayers work because, you know, I have the evidence to back that up and prove it. And I think it's so empowering. Um, it empowers women It empowers, um, you know, it increases their faith. Like I've had people who buy shirts for me who don't have children yet and say, I'm buying this because I'm standing on faith that, you know, God's going to bless me with my miracle baby, or, you know, they're struggling through infertility or, and they just want something tangible to, to carry with them that empowers them and that they can take on their journey. And when their baby is born, they're like, look, like, this is my miracle. This is my answer prayer. Or, you know, I have one that says my mom prayed for me. My dad prayed for me. And I think that's so powerful because, you know, in a world where there's so many things that you could believe in, you know, I'm not trying to like push my faith on people, but I'm just trying to 
show like what God did for me, he can do it for you. He's such a loving father. He is such a loving um, and caring, you know, higher power. Um, And I promised myself when I was in the hospital, laying on my hospital bed with Jackson, I said, God, if you save my son, if you um, bring us through this, I will never stop talking about it. I will never six years later, I like, I'm talking, I'm screaming it from the, from the mountaintops of what you've done because someone else needs that hope. Someone else needs to know in their, in their situation, they need to be able to look at something tangible and say, oh my gosh, like this happened for this, this family. Like it can happen for me because the doctors are not going to, they're not going to coddle you. They're not going to tell you that miracles can happen. They're going to say, science happens and they're just going to be like, well, you know, we can't really help you. And me being able to have this business and have my platform where people can come and look and see tangible evidence of faith and hope. That's the mission behind the entire brand. Like that's the point of it. It's so amazing. I'm eyeing the little miracle stuff and miracles happen. Yes. Um, I've talked about it a bit on the Instagram page, but my daughter got really sick this summer and ended up getting Mm. a liver transplant. Wow. And everything that we went through, when I saw the shirt that said miracles happen, it really touched me. Yeah. um, We truly saw a miracle take place and I want her to have that shirt. So we can go around and continue sharing the story. Yeah, because it's true. Like miracles happen. And I think, you know, prior to us experiencing this miracle, you know, you hear of miracle stories and sometimes you think that they're these big, like big, big, big things, which they can be, but there's also these little miracles that happen along the way, which also leads me to say, you know, I I wrote a book. um, It's actually coming out um, in December and it talks about all of the little miracles that we experienced along the way of the journey. I mean, little miracles can be, I mean, they're all around us. Like life is a miracle. I have a shirt on today. Motherhood is a miracle. Like everything is a miracle. Um, and then there's some that are really big and some, and so I think wearing those affirmations and saying it aloud, it like, it, it, it inspires people. Like whenever I see Jackson in his miracle shirts, I'm like, you are a miracle. Like breathing is a miracle, you know? birthing a baby is a miracle. Like making it through, hello, making it through childbirth these days is a miracle in itself because, you know, there's a lot of people who don't. So I think being able to just like express that and, and make it cute on shirts and stuff like that. I think it helps people. I really do. Yeah. Your products are really cute. There's also a swaddle blanket, the one with the brown hearts. My daughter is two and a half. And I was like, do "Do I need to get this blanket? (laughs) No, my daughter, my daughter is two and a half and she loves her swaddle blankets. And it's so, it's just so cute because obviously like I made it, but the fact that she loves it and, and she just is like, where's my heart blanket. And she loves, she like cuddles with it or you know, wraps her little babies in it, but she naps with them and sleeps with them. And it's just, you know, like God is really like giving me the visions for all of these things. Um, and I love creating, I love being able to interweave our story into my business because that's like the prim- like, that's what it was built on was being able to share our story and have other people connect to it and be like, oh, I want this. And, oh, that's cute. And, and give it as gifts. Like I have an answered prayer blanket and that's like a number one seller. 
Um, because when you have your baby, like to be able to wrap them in something that's so like such a big affirmation, like that's, that's pretty dope. (laughs) I will say. And I didn't have that when Jackson was a baby. Like I had, I didn't really have anything that expressed like miracles. I mean, over time, like over the last six years, I've seen like more companies come out with things about miracles and stuff like that, or like tiny miracle and stuff like that. But it hasn't been, it wasn't popular when he was a baby. It was not. So I'm like, I'm trying to get all this stuff out for, for all of the future generations to come, you know? Yeah. I need it. I love the idea of being able to look at your child and then have on a shirt that forces you to just say an affirmation and remember yes. something positive. Yes, it, it does. Like even my daughter, um, she was our, she was born full term. Um, and it took, it took time for me to heal from our NICU journey and our, our whole experience of even wanting to try again, because once you have a preemie, you're high risk. And, you know, so many things can come along with that. And in between my son and my daughter, I had a miscarriage. And so it was one of those things where it was like, okay, God gave us a miracle with my son. Are we testing the waters asking for another miracle? You know, when we had that miscarriage, I was like, maybe, maybe, maybe he's done. Like, maybe that's it. Um, and once, you know, kind of healed from the, from the miscarriage, we decided to try again. And so she's our rainbow baby and she's our, our full-term baby. Cause I carried her full term and had a beautiful, um, birth with her. It was a scheduled C-section, which was totally different from the emergency C-section. And it was just so beautiful. And, um, even looking at her, like, you know, she wears like her little rainbow shirt or rainbow baby. And she knows like, she's like into rainbows because like we've exposed her to so many. We're like, you're a rainbow camera. Um, but just seeing her in those shirts still blesses me and still like affirms me sometimes like to know, like these things can, can happen. Like miracles can happen. And if it happened before, like it can keep happening. So yeah, it's beautiful to see my kids walk around and things that I've created and, and just affirm, they affirm me daily. <laughs> Even when I'm like, oh, I'm stressed and they'll come over in their little shirts. I'm like, okay, okay. You're right. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Ema, I really appreciate you bringing up that experience about the car and the job in the hospital, because that's something that as a black mom myself, when you're in the Mm -hmm. hospital, you're going through the trauma of everything going on with your child, but there's also these little traumatic moments that happen through socialization of, you know, being invisible. And then all of a sudden someone finding out what kind of car you drive and now you're a person to them. And it's important that we keep talking about this so that everyone can understand that these are we're dealing with multiple traumas not just yes what's going on with our child but also things that are happening to us personally right you know it it is and it's something that you know I probably don't talk about enough when it comes to our NICU experience but it is something that you know I have mentioned before you know and other you know times that I've shared but it's important to because you're looking at it's so many dynamics um and you know it sucks that it's that way, um, but that's why I feel like, you know, when you are, when your child is in the NICU and you're going through this experience, like you do have to kind of 
gird yourself up with knowledge, um, maybe reach out to other parents, join support groups. Like I remember us uh, joining and I'm actually still a part of them, but like micro preemie groups, um, Nikki groups um, on Facebook where you can just kind of tap in with other parents and it kind of validates like your experience. Like mm-hmm. but sometimes you might think what you're thinking is crazy. And they're like, no, I went through the same thing or my child fought through the same thing. And just being able to talk to someone who has that experience is priceless because you can talk to another parent, but unless they really know what it's like to, you know, see your child in an incubator or on a ventilator or any oxygen machine or, you know, feeding tube, you don't really get it. Like it's a, it's like an exclusive club. Like nobody really wants to be a part of, but when you are a part of it, you really take kind of pride in it. Um, like we're strong, you know, we're yeah. strong. Our kids are strong. Um, like you said, your daughter had a liver transplant. Like you were strong to be able to go through that, you know? Um, and there's trauma that, that does come from, that does linger from the NICU. Um, my son recently, um, had a, got a broken arm at school uh, about a month ago and just some moments like tried to creep back up, like from the NICU of like, oh my gosh, you know, cause it was the first, he didn't, he wasn't hospitalized with his broken arm, but we were back at the doctor and just like, you know, some of those feelings come up, um, like triggers. Um, and you know, for me, I, I had to, like, it was suggested that I went to therapy when we first got out of the NICU. And at the time I didn't go, um, I felt like, oh, I could handle this on my own, but I did have PTSD and, um, it was, it was tough navigating through that. Like, because when you bring your child home, like you think, you know, everything is like, oh, just everything kind of ends and begins again. Right. But you still carry some fears, you know, from, from that, from that time. And like, like me, you both had like long stays in the NICU. So that's a, you know, it's a lot of undoing, I guess you could say, because four months, he was in there for four months. So it took a while for me to calm down and not be so like, edgy all of the time and just like on pins and needles and you know I'm still like a helicopter mom even now like I'm super over overprotective of him always have been um but yeah you have to undo a lot of trauma <laughs> from seeing your kid fight for their life it's hard mm-hmm. yeah the hard. scientific version of it is um brain rewiring because your brain just starts to process things in a certain way and when you get out of the NICU you have to start to create new habits and Mm -hmm. have enough time of seeing your child being okay that your brain is like you know not like they're gonna die every second like it was for a long time yeah for a long time that's you know and I think just telling our stories helps too because prior like I said prior to our experience I didn't know what it really meant to have your baby on this machine. Uh, so he was like on the, um, the traditional uh, vent. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that really meant. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this machine is actually breathing for him. You know, 21% oxygen is room air. Like 
I had, I, I know more now that it's like so much, it's just like stored in my brain. <laughs> um, and you just don't know these things prior to, unless you talk to someone, maybe like they kind of tell you a little bit, but even going through it is a whole different beast. It is insane how much knowledge you leave with that. I mean, it helps you take care of your child, but what are we even going to do with this information? (laughs) Right. I was like, I just, I was like, I'm going to blog about it. I'm going to talk about it on YouTube. And then I'm going to write a book because it's so much just in my brain, like things that I remember from the early days, like statistics and numbers, like I could tell you, and I'm like, how is this still stored in my brain? Like, like, how do I sound like, like if I'm talking to a doctor, you know, or a therapist, I need to like run down Jackson's history. I can run it down. They're just like, you re- are you reading something? I'm like, no, it's all here. <laughs> it's all, all here. here. <laughs> all up here. I know all of his, you know, his birth weights and all of those things. And it's incredible. I think it's, um, I just think that it's, it's just part of the journey. <laughs> you know, you just, that's, that's, I'm like, you're not a regular mom. You're a miracle mom. Like, you're different. We're different people. You know, we're incredible people. Well, Ema, storytelling acts as a means of healing because it allows you to shift positions. Mm-hmm. Instead of your NICU story being something that happened to you, you get to own the story and then decide what you want the lasting memory to be. So when you look back at your birth journey and your stay at the NICU with Jackson, what do you want to be the lasting memory of your story? Definitely that miracles happen. And although it's a hard experience to go through and it doesn't have to break you. Um, And I think for us, that's the special thing about our story is that it was, it could have been sent here to tear us apart and to cause us to, um, lose our faith and, uh, our marriage to fall apart and all of these things. And it didn't, it actually made us stronger. Um, and it opened my eyes to a whole nother world that I didn't even really knew existed. Um, and literally changed the trajectory of my life and who I am. And so I think for me, I want people to know that um, hard things don't have to break you. They don't have to, they, they don't have to be your end. It could just be a part of your journey to propel you to the next part of your life. And it, it could be beautiful. There's beauty in hard things. Um there's, you, you find your strength in hard things. And so for me, that's where I am. Um, oftentimes when I talk about our NICU journey, I am careful to, um, I don't want to diminish other people's experiences by saying, oh, and, and, you know, I don't want them to look at me saying, oh, I, I came out stronger as, oh, it was a great experience because it was not, it was hard. Um, but it, it grew me. It made me who I am today. And I'm appreciative of the journey. It did not feel good. Um, but I'm grateful that it happened because where would I be? Where would my son be if it did not happen? So, um, while I am gentle and careful of other people's experiences and feelings, I do want them to know that, um, I appreciate the NICU journey. Um, I appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. And 
it's made us who we are today. There's a beauty in hard things. Oh, I love beauty that. And, it's beauty in hard things. And, you know, obviously when you're going through, you're like, this is not beautiful, <laughs> but it's beautiful. Like looking back, I literally just put together a book of my son's Nikki journey. I had it printed out um, from chat books and it's beautiful to me. Like, and I, I showed it to Jackson and he's just like doctor and milk and tubes. And it's, it's beautiful to see there's like so such beauty in, in the hard things. Like I see it. So, and maybe that's just my perspective and hopefully maybe someone else can like benefit from that and maybe say, okay, you're right. There is some beauty here. Like, yes, my child is fighting for their life, but look at, look at their beautiful little toes. Like look at their, their, we watch Jackson's eyes come from being fused shut to opening you know, we watched him form. We watched him grow. Like that's beautiful. We watched his skin go from gelatinous to being able to actually touch him. And that was beautiful. So there's all those little intricate moments and miracles that are in the hard things. Um, and I think if people stop to really embrace that and really look at it, they'll see it too. Yeah. That's beautiful. Ema, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.